all rolling here. Yeah. Rolling, 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 rolling. Are you rolling, Aaron Shepard? Yes, rolling, rolling. Oh, you sound great. Maybe we should use Limp Biscuit rolling as our intro tune on this episode. <laughs> I bet you used to love Limp Biscuit, and Tom Freeman. That is right. No, up. I was, I was, I was firmly in the uh, opposing camp. Are you a Nirvana fan, Tom Freeman? I, I, I do love a bit of Nirvana, but I wasn't really a, I wasn't really a big fan. I, late, later on, I was more of a fan of Nirvana. Good to clear that up. <laughs> well, what a fantastic start to the first ever Founders Edition of right. Strat Chat. We've, we've... Right, I'll be here if you need anything, you know, if you need a dog's body or you need to look up a statistic <laughs> or something. Like that. Let me explain. Strategy? Let's talk a little strategy, guys. What else could you possibly want? <laughs> Welcome to a Founders Edition of Strat Chat. We're, we, we've gatecrashed it. I'll be honest, we've gatecrashed it. The three of us, Nick, Aaron, and myself, we're here to talk about what we're seeing in the world of social media strategy business um, over the last week and kind of what we're encountering, not just on a news level, but also on a uh, conversational level. We have a lot of conversations with big brands, with um, people in at the top of agencies, people at the top of those brands about what's going on in marketing. And I think it's really important that we have uh, these conversations weekly, even if it's just for us to kind of recap on what those things are that are going on around the world. So I've structured this in a, in a different kind of way. I've, I've kind of asked the boys and myself to bring two topics each to the table every single week. That means we'll get three different points of view every single week, three different things that um, uh, at least that we can, we can talk about from different points of view. So that would be um, normally something from a, a brand that they've they've said and brought up an interesting question that, that was uh, caused some interesting debate, or it might be something that's hit the news that um, that is quite interesting as well. So what what should we start with? Aaron Shepard, you've got quite something quite interesting to start with. Um, do you want to roll with, with yours? So uh, yeah, I think a big one to start with, I suppose, is the return of sport. Um, certainly in the UK, the Premier League's come back. We had Royal Ascot all of last week. So, you know, it, it, it's starting to bring lots of industries back into work. Obviously, those sports industries, but also all the betting companies and a lot of the sponsors um, around it uh, are obviously now back to advertising. So, you know, some form of business as usual for sport, but obviously a, a very, very different normal. Um, I mean, have you guys watched a lot of the Premier League? I think, Harry, you've been glued to it. Nick, I saw the MLBs um, announced today that they're coming back and lots of the American sports are now starting too. Harry, are you watching the UK stuff? Yeah, I, I think it's fascinating, really. Obviously, there's been a, a huge focus on the Premier League with that coming back and the fact that it was so valuable as a league um, for sponsors and TV and broadcast money to bring that back. And I think we're also seeing that with other leagues and governing bodies and sports that need to come back for revenue. And I think the NBA is one of them um, because they, they've they've shacked up all their players, staff, um, coaches into, into Disneyland out in Orlando, uh, which is absolutely crazy. If you'd have written that headline nine months ago, I mean, God knows what you've said. I mean, I still come back to, I think it was the second or third week of lockdown and Sky Sports Breaking News tweeted, Gary Anderson has had to withdraw from the darts indoor um, world championship because his Wi-Fi isn't strong enough. I mean, again, put that tweet out nine months before and try and explain what the world's going through in sport and you'd have no idea. And I think that's one of those tweets that's going to be, you know, keep coming up over the last, over the next few years. But yeah, I think it's interesting. And Nick, you've, you've obviously dealt with... Um, Lots of sponsors and brands in the sport market over, I mean, over since we yeah. merged over for like seven years. I mean, sponsors are in this horrible void where the games and the sports being played, but 
it's much harder than it ever has been to get fans on the ground to, to be activated. But obviously there's huge broadcast viewership and there's and there's a lot of people on social media. Yeah, I mean, as an Arsenal fan, it's uh, I was very much looking forward to the start of the new Premier League season and now I'm, I wish it was over. Um, and <laughs> I feel like I actually had a chat with Fanjul yesterday who uh, are a client of ours in the US and it was very interesting. They have obviously seen their numbers drop um, without any sport, but they've been very successful at coming up with reasons for people to bet, especially on their daily fantasy product. They've been creating loads of different markets and games around reality TV and, you know, politics and all, all sorts of other things that are continuing to happen. Um, they've also been really smart about uh, moving their advertising dollars into things like horse racing and virtual horse racing um, and poker specifically, where the lifetime value is much higher than a typical sports betting customer anyway. So uh, it's it's very interesting how the sports betting market is adapting. Um, I think there's probably, a, a, to a large degree, they're pretending things are still fine and actually things have properly dropped off a cliff. But they, I think, now have saved quite a bit of their budget from Q2 and Q3 and are now, as an industry, planning on going really big from here on in. And I think all the, all the sports betting numbers across the border are right up there in terms of record highs, even without crowds in the stadium. So consumers are ready to spend money. And the broadcasters, Aaron, they're obviously like cashing in big time on this because everyone's at home. All of the sport is on TV every single minute. I mean, it literally, it, it now kind of stamps the end of the day. Six o'clock is another Premier League game. There's another one at eight o'clock and it's every single night, let alone the other sport that's going on and, and scheduled to come back. Like it is nonstop. Like we've, you know, sport's been synonymous with the weekends. It's now synonymous with all the time. Yeah, no, I think it's really, really interesting. Um, it's it's a great opportunity for anyone that has got the rights currently because you've obviously got huge viewership numbers and and so can then sell ads accordingly. Um, but I think it's going to... We've seen for the first time ever not have blocks of games where there's no TV. In the UK, for, mm -hmm. for years and years, the three o'clock games are not shown. Everywhere else in the world, to be clear, they are. all of them are shown. In Dubai, you can watch every game. In Thailand, you can. And in the States, etc. But in England, here, you yeah. can't, yeah, because they want people to go to the games. So I think this will probably change that particular thing forever with the Premier League, and they will move to a model that doesn't rely on you know, game attendance, because to be clear, they don't really need it. That's not what keeps Premier League clubs afloat. It, it's what keeps, you know, non-league clubs afloat and League Two clubs afloat and things like that, but not Premier League clubs. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, if we then move into a scenario where we've got maybe, well, we've got 10 live Premier League games a week rather than three or four, maybe they're spread around over four or five different nights. I think we'll start to see a lot more players than just, you know, in the UK, it's just Sky Sports and BT currently. BBC have now got games on. There's a game on tonight on the BBC. Maybe they'll come in for a few games. You know, I've got no doubt that the, the streaming giants are looking at it too. Um, and, you know, lots of the big sports properties. There's, there's going to be a lot of opportunity around, you know, micro purchases around um football games i think and and so the, on that point we know that amazon sport 
um, Prime Video has got four games for the rest of the season alongside the BBC mm-hmm. um, exclusively, and they've made the decision to stream them for free, not only on the on the Prime Video platform for any Prime Video subscribers already, um, and if you're looking to sign up for Prime Video as a free member, you can you can subscribe and and watch for free. But also, it's going to be available for free on Twitch. Why do you think they made that? decision well I, I can only assume they've made that decision on the basis that they have future plans to go in and take more games um and and that they're starting to build the experience of watching live football on that platform start to get used to the the graphics the commentary and everything else that if they if they like that product after those three or four games and next season there are more maybe they'll be willing to purchase it um, so I think it's a very smart play if that's what they're doing. I assume it is. Yeah, I think it's also because the Amazon ecosystem allows such fantastic retargeting because they've obviously got so many different properties and so many different abilities to sell you into different things depending on what you love. Um, and they're just trying to get people in to experience the product. I think if you if you signed up to Amazon or if you're a long-time Prime Video Sport customer um, and you watch the Premier League on that, channel over christmas you'd have realized it was probably a superior product because you could switch between the games much easier yeah. it put all the games on at the same time it was nice to watch it on your laptop where there was there was previously uh concerns that watching live sport on um on a device was going to be very difficult and they'd they'd had some problems and there was huge fears uh, i know internally about what and how it was going to work um but actually if you watched it as a product it was very very good so do you reckon that they're trying to do it um, Nick, I, I ask you, I suppose, well, do you reckon they're trying to do it because it just entices people to watch the product and effectively these are four matches that Amazon didn't expect to have? Yeah, and I think the other interesting thing about Twitch is that it sort of removes the second screen experience and moves people from their mobile to commenting and chatting and engaging alongside the actual content, um, which... I think for someone like Amazon, it's interesting because if the more they can keep you on one device, the more, the more when they try and sell you things and shift you around their properties, um, the consumer journey becomes much easier. But yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I think the BBC as well, um, it, it feels like such an outdated, archaic channel through which like, to be involved in these conversations with the likes of Prime Video. Um, I think it's far more likely going to be a battle between the Amazons and the Facebooks going forward. But nice to have some football on the BBC. Uh, which nicely segues us into other live streaming platform news, which I'm bringing to the table here. Um, but Mixer, who obviously made a huge amount of noise six months ago as they launched as a Microsoft property, um, they had th- three main ambassadors of which two of which were Shroud and um, obviously Ninja paid tens of millions of dollars in order to get them as ambassadors for the platform, um, mo- mainly to port their audience from what was mainly a Twitch audience into Mixer. Mixer as a platform, not a lot different to Twitch. Same premise, live streaming of games, interaction live, micropayments. Um, Mixer's now folded into facebook gaming aaron shepherd yeah what on earth is going on well something bigger than we can see i think is the answer i'm with you i'm with you it's um, nuts what's going on well there's there's you know that there, there is a relationship between microsoft and 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 facebook and you know it appears that that relationship is gonna strengthen strengthen over the next few years they're building lots of products microsoft are building lots of products to that will fit into the Facebook ecosystem. And so they're essentially 
giving the mixer as a sort of contra, you know, they're sort of throwing it to them. And, you know, I assume that they're getting something in return on a larger deal around, you know, some of their, their, their services going through Facebook. I don't know. Um, that isn't public, but it's, it's public enough to know that there's some form of relationship. I just don't know what it is, but mixers are big. Give up a property like no, that. No, mixers it's, are big platform. We, we know that's 100, 150 million quid. They must have sunk into that at least oh, wait, to make it I, happen. I think lots more. They've doubled. They've doubled the users in the last you know year. They're, they're, this is not a platform that's dying. It's 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 not competitive with Twitch yet, but you know it's I I don't think that it's it it's because it's not doing well. I think it's because there's probably a much, much larger deal in play that we're yet unaware of that, you know, when we become aware of it, maybe we'll realise, oh, actually, you know, Mixer is only a small part of that. Um, but it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me at the moment. It just seems like Microsoft has just given, you know, a great streaming business to to Facebook. What's happening with Ninja and all the um, all the talent that Mixer had recently signed up? Yeah, what, so what think all- they're about to make some real money again. <laughs> all the talent got paid out their full contract because effectively Mixer have become has become null and void. It's no longer a company. How many do we know how many years? Uh so it was it was thirty million we know got paid out to Ninja. Ten million got paid out to Shroud. So like huge amount of money over only six months of the deal. And what's even more ridiculous is like Aaron said, like their payday's yet to come because they've just been freed up on a on a contract, which means that Twitch is where all of these guys came from, the live streamers. Now, they could either go back to Twitch and kind of be true to their community because that's where they came for. They've made their money. They don't really need to really double down to sign a big deal. Although all of the big streamers on Twitch or the people that Twitch have brought across from YouTube are on a deal. Do they get paid to go back to Twitch and stay where the community is and probably get less money? Or do they go to YouTube gaming who are going to spend a load of money to bring the big names across as they try and bolster their live streaming platform and Google really, really going for that. And it's a bidding war again. It's it's like football. It's transfer market like we've never seen it before. And live streamers are the only really ones that, that fit into this. YouTubers don't really seem to move between platforms because there isn't a competitor, whereas live streamers, it's just a level playing field. Um, Nick Cook, what else have you got for me? So I wanted to discuss uh, something away from sort of platforms and social strategy and more sort of business strategy and something focused around the changing nature of the world. So we are now in a position um, where we're looking to scale across US and and global markets. And we started re-engaging our recruitment team. Uh, We have an internal recruitment team um, and we've just advertised for quite a few roles. And I thought it would be interesting just to discuss... um, the conversations we've been having and the change in strategy and approach for not just us, but majority of businesses that we're talking to around um, offering flexible working hours, but also ultimately the ability to recruit from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm based in New York and salaries in New York are insane. And so when we're looking at hiring an account director, um, you know, assuming people aren't going to be the office most of the time over the next few years, uh, a lot of our clients are actually on the West Coast. And so um, tactically, we're looking for someone ideally on the West Coast and ideally in a city or a state where the average salary and the value you can get for um, a new team member is better than what we have at the moment. Um, yeah, I guess w- what are your thoughts on that, guys? And 
Um, what's going to be the UK approach? Because it is slightly different. Um, in some way, it's similar in the sense that London is obviously that hub um, in the UK. And, and, you know, historically, we've obviously been a London-based company. And so essentially, if you don't live within an hour of our London office, like you're probably not willing to commute that far and, and, and fair enough. So, you know, it's a pretty, you know, we've we've ruled out a huge chunk of, of just the UK for, for starters. So since we've gone into lockdown and we've started to hire for roles where we haven't been focused on location, I think we've all been amazed at the quality of candidates that we've we've seen um, in the brackets that we're looking for, because specifically because we've we've really broadened that scope. So yeah, I mean we 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 advertise for a paid social role, and we drew up a shortlist from a hundred people that uh, applied over a four day period, and we had a six person shortlist of which one person was in uh, the north of England, one was in Wales, one was in Ireland, two were in London, one was in New Zealand. Like we just completely opened it up to whoever is the best that we can find. Um, yeah. And it was really refreshing to to meet loads of different people from loads of different walks of life who had all had different opinions on what they wanted from flexible working, what they wanted to work in and how they wanted their day to be structured. And I think it's been a really, really eye-opening experience. And we've been very honest over the last 12 to 18 weeks or however long this has been on been going on for that we were wrong about work from home um and you know is it for for everyone forever no i don't think it is and i i think that we totally accept that this isn't the forever situation but flexibility having learned that it is possible to deliver great work working from home and i i honestly believe that we're probably delivering our best work we ever have mm, um for for certainly for the biggest clients we ever have mm. And um, the flexibility that we've created over the last 12 weeks has been a real eye-opener for me, especially, and for my life, let alone everybody else's. Um, But some challenges... What do you think is going to happen in, say, eight months if they do find a vaccine and some companies start going back to central offices, even if they're giving people the ability to work from home two, three days a week? Do you guys share any concerns around having a team dispersed around, for example, the U.S.? That's and then having our New York office back open. Um, I, I share concerns around it, sure, but I, I still think that we'll remain in ability for there to be, you know, virtual workers. And I just think it's, you know, what we've hired people in the last, you know, few weeks in last couple of months you know and even during COVID, as as we came into covid we had a couple of people start that had already been lined up to start so you know they actually got integrated into the business completely virtually and you know i i think that's the real key is can you get people up to speed virtually once things go back to physical locations then you know maybe we'll end up having micro hubs around and stuff like that we certainly want to encourage people to go face to face but I'm not so sure that we'll go back to a culture of meeting for meeting's sake. What do you think? Yeah, I certainly don't think we're going to be bombing around London to four different meetings. I think you'll go to one, find a central location, and then probably set up a few Zoom calls from that. You'll you'll pick and prioritise your meetings as like three different tiers worth of meeting. You've got a phone call, a Zoom call, or a a face-to-face, and then you'll just, you'll make a decision based on calendar and 
and what you're trying to get out of the meeting. Yeah. I still, and I know that all three of us believe that there's still a huge value of being face to face with someone, especially when you're pitching and you're selling. And I think we've proved time after time that when it comes to the big pitches, we really, really are fantastic over the table, mainly because we're creative and we think about pitching and showing how we do things in a very, very different way to everyone else. And we try to come at everything in an innovative way. For me, all of our biggest deals that we've ever done throughout the history of the agency, I could probably describe in two sentences. You know, I think now they've been big deals doing, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge thing, but the core concept of what we're doing was very simple and easy to understand. And simplicity, being able to sell something that's simple, because more often than not, person that you're selling to is then going to have to go and sell it to someone else and so if it's too complicated they won't be able to sell it and so you know i i just see the value in that we're we're seeing that across you know the way that we're running campaigns and the way that we're you know strategizing and everything else and i think it's just a lesson that that we need to constantly remind ourselves um to try and keep it simple well, and yeah, do everything think, we um, can I, I think young people especially like less experienced people Certainly, all I've seen join our business think that to impress um, and like building proposals is a very good example. Strategizing, they think that they need to make something very complex, and ultimately, it just becomes far too difficult to understand. And you need to understand who you're building something for, right? Like yeah. most clients or people you send a deck to haven't got time to read a fifty-page deck. So we're constantly trying to get people to simplify it so it's literally one page in the deck you need to be able to glance over it needs to be able to explain everything you're doing in one two three parts and then labeling everything incredibly clearly but we constantly have to kind of drag people back down to that simple level because they just the natural thing to do is try and convolute things i think we've been we've been bad for that during if we look at our 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 business over the five years when we came out of sport lobster we'd come up with this really really simple formula um which was very easy for us to replicate straight off the bat as we joined uh, forces and, and started goat and then we managed to copy and paste that formula for uh, a few years without ever really having to think about it and we nicely scaled from being very good at sport to being very good in lifestyle fashion travel etc and and we're lucky that that formula worked across everything and then we probably got to a point where we tried to overcomplicate things we got to being very much the market leader um, i can we actually pinpoint fast. when it was as well it was it was a big deal it was it was the only rfp that we've ever not won and they didn't actually give it to an agency if you remember that yeah i won't name it but one of the big drinks companies and i i remember that our strategy team and campaigns team saying how they felt like we should have shown more and we should have done this and we should have done that and like it was just it it was the opposite yeah it was the opposite the client actually it was clear that the client it was just too complicated for them but but we thought it was too simple internally and i i, I just it was just a very clear example of how you know really simplifying it down is so crucial their feedback was we don't think we're ready for you yet. Yeah. And these, this is one of the biggest brands in the world. Um, and their feedback to us, a hundred person agency, you know, 
hundreds of times smaller than their business um were you know we, we're, we're just not ready for you and that that kind of gave us a a spark where we're like we're, we're just way too far down our own tunnel where we're just in this bubble thinking about what we know and forgetting what everyone else knows and, and, the, and our that's success, the problem yeah and, and the, the success of the start of the business was that we we knew how to simply talk about what we did and then we've been very very conscious and i think over the last 12 months especially we've been very very good at boiling back down exactly what the sell is exactly what we're good at delivering and building out very very concise strategic proposals that that lay that out and yeah you're absolutely right nick sometimes we overcomplicate things again and then it's our job to kind of pull it back down um into being as simple as possible and can you like aaron said right at the beginning of this section can you summarize what we're going to do in two sentences because you've got to believe unless you're pitching to the ceo that that person is going to have to turn around in their meeting in two days time they're not going to do it in an hour's time where they remember everything you've said they're going to do it in two days time where they've made you know one page of notes on a proposal they've never seen before completely blind listening to someone they've hardly ever heard from before they might have had one call with them and they've got to repeat it and sell it as well as the person who built it to the person with the budget who's never heard of you before it, all of our best campaigns are we should do this with this like this and then that's it and then it's so simple yeah. for someone to repeat it and go yeah, yeah and the, the bigger the brand yeah. the bigger the brand the bigger the client like the, the, the increase as we've grown the agency we've gone from working with a lot of small businesses you know 50 100 person businesses where you're dealing with the ceo or the cmo and the decision maker so nothing does get lost or, or convoluted as it gets shared around increasingly we're dealing with these massive global brands and so not just for the pitch and winning the business but it's also so important so that once you are internally scaling what you're doing either you know there's one big client um i'm sure we're all aware of in the us where phase one is getting the door but then phase two is how do you build a relationship across the internal teams in that territory and then how is the strategy so simple that they can then replicate it across other markets? And that really is as an agency, as we've discovered, how you really scale to that next level. And if everything isn't completely clear and simple, it's just never going to translate. So I think it's actually become more important to be simple the more we've grown. It, it's strategy copy and paste. Like, can you copy and paste that strategy and anybody who reads it understands it? Yeah. Anybody. The real skill is actually identifying the insight that drives the solution to the problem. But the mechanic and the structure is is easy. This is the problem we've identified. Here's how we're going to solve it. Like, the the work people think is in the solution, but actually a lot of the time it's in the problem. And then if you understand how to solve problems you've got an array of things you can do to then go and solve that problem. You pick one of the easy, simple ones and you go and do it. But, you know, I always try and get our strat team and they do, they focus on on the insight around that problem. This is what this group of people think about you because of this. We can solve it by doing this and you showing that. You know, that that for for me is is an explanation of a of a campaign. Yeah, and it kind of brings us nicely onto my last thing I wanted to bring up, which is 
based on the conversations I've had with a few CMOs in the last couple of weeks, um, where I've talked about our strategy and what we've what we're selling currently and how influencers and paid media come together really nicely and how you can target audiences very, very appropriately based on content and what people are interested in and also based on what they engage with most, which we all know is influencer content or peer-to-peer content. Um, and then kind of making the joke on the call that, yeah, well, you're obviously spending all your money currently on Facebook and it's just like a bottomless pit and it's kind of like a race to the bottom for it. And they all went, yeah, we're just desperate to find anything that isn't Facebook. And I thought, okay, these are a few off the cuff CMO comments are like, oh yeah, we're just trying to, you know, not boycott Facebook, but we're trying to do something that's other than Facebook. And then in the last three days, obviously sparked by some of the stuff that happened around the Black Lives Matter movement, but really it's a it's a push by brands like the North Face, Patagonia, Ben and Jerry is a Unilever brand now. You know, they're, they're all boycotting Facebook as a platform for, for the whole of July. You know, that is millions and millions and millions of ad dollars just completely gone. Obviously, they're doing it to take a stand, but I think it's fascinating that we could be on the brink of seeing a lot of the biggest advertisers in the world really, really assess their full channel mix. And Facebook having been, you know, the answer to, to TV as one of the next big spenders in terms of you know the, what we talk about being percentage of total market ad spend you know actually might be tiltering on the edge of losing quite a lot of its share because people just don't want to keep spending on something that is like a bottomless pet I, Aaron Shepard you talk a lot about this. Oh, it's this this is where I live marketing mix um, you know something that I've been screaming needs to change anyway for the last few years because it's been overweighted towards traditional channels that don't don't do the job to the audience because the audience has moved but you know right now i think we all know that we're we're dealing with lots of conversations around that changing marketing mix and i think if if you're a brand and you haven't changed your marketing mix at this point from what it was in the last year then i think you completely misunderstand what's happening um and and in the world and and with people and their habits and everything else and you know if if you're not having a great time right now and you haven't changed your mix like that's you know that's the first thing you can do so um i think we're going to see every single brand on the planet put far far more into um social and and digital in general but specifically social because that's where the audiences are um but you know uh, i don't know it's uh it's it's an interesting one because the the ones that have already done it are the ones that are going to really really benefit from this because it takes a period of time to change that mix you know these are most of these big brands have got big media agencies that are have set multi-year strategies and everything else and so you know, we're, we're having conversations around with lots and lots around sort of things changing towards the end of this year, going into next year, definitely everything's changed. But, you know, the the bravest ones will do it right now. They'll change the the rest of their, their year immediately um, on the basis that, you know, obviously out of home isn't going to perform. Obviously TV isn't going to uh, perform at the same level because the content's not going to be created. You know, there are lots of channels that specifically because of COVID are going to go down. And then there are lots of channels that just because of the fact they've probably got a slightly reduced advertising budget, they need better performance, they're going to have to move it into social and digital anyway. Yeah, I think um, I think there's, all, there's still, a, there's still a, a requirement for Facebook. I think you know, as an ad platform, a lot of brands like Shul, who I think are the biggest advertiser in the UK on Facebook, 
uh, and run a very lean performance-driven marketing strategy and are purely looking at CPAs and lifetime values. I think for those brands, Facebook has a lot of value and, and a lot of longevity. I think the other brands who are trying to, almost the brands that are so big that they aren't looking at, you know, last click attribution, they're looking at everything from, you know, brand awareness, sentiment, prospecting all the way through. Those are the brands that really need to think carefully about how much of their money they're investing in Facebook. I think there's also a question about what's going to happen over the next few years in terms of the way Facebook as a business is viewed. Over the last few months, there's been some interesting questions about Twitter versus Facebook and how they're positioned politically and ethically and all those things, which I think will play a bit of a part in, in the next few years as well. Do you think the age factor is going to have a, an impact with Facebook? Because, you know, the, the, the generation, you know, the, the, there are not that many, you know, 14, 15 year olds using Facebook every day. That's the reality. And so... Yeah, but Facebook have, have combated that by by buying very low um, on Instagram and, and WhatsApp. You know, we looked at WhatsApp when that was first acquired and we're like, Jesus, 18 billion or 17 billion or whatever it cost to, to buy that, which at the time was a huge amount of money. Yeah. You know, we look bargain. back on it and go, wow, what a bargain. Yeah. And then we, we roll it back even further and we look at Instagram. That was a billion dollars, a billion dollars for Instagram. It's the, it's the best deal someone's ever done. feels like they need another um, one though, don't you think? That they, you know... Well, they, they tried need... with Snapchat, right? Yeah. And they can't go TikTok because it's China. No, exactly. That's the problem. Yeah. They really wanted Musical.ly. And they couldn't get it because it was China, and then China bought the Chinese business. But yeah, they need they need something to go toe to toe with TikTok. I think the problem they've got is for the first time ever with TikTok, they've got something that's massive that they can't touch. Yeah. And I think the only other platform that's ever done it is YouTube. And YouTube was was bigger before. Well, kind of grew with them, and that was that was Google, and 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 Facebook was Facebook, and then Snapchat popped off but then never really went anywhere ironically never really went anywhere from the moment that uh, zuckerberg offered three billion dollars in cash to to evan spiegel um it kind of felt like it plateaued from there although there's a lot of influencers making a lot of money on snapchat from from snapchat's fantastic monetization platform which i think now instagram are looking to to embed but yeah, I'm. Oh my God, we we are due. We are due another platform's rise. Yeah. We've had we've had TikTok, uh, which obviously has become mainstream in the last twelve months. But you know, musically and TikTok has been something of note for the last two to three years, and it does feel like we're on a three to f three year cycle in terms of new platforms. Um, and uh, yeah, it feels like we're in for and, and maybe that one's Twitch. Maybe maybe live streaming is finally going to have its hour. They won't get that off Amazon though, will they? Facebook, no, I know yeah. exactly. Maybe Amazon are going to have their hour now in the in the sun with all the different ability they have to retarget people. Well, um, this is the mixer that, conversation. Come full circle nicely. Exactly. Well, you, and then it really comes down to three different platforms that run the internet, and that's Google, Amazon, and Facebook, which is what we know is going to happen, and we can't stop it. You know, even hours before we record this podcast, Amazon have had uh, their Deliveroo investment for sixteen percent of uh, Deliveroo uh, accepted for 440 million pounds, making the Deliveroo valuation 6.2 billion pounds. You know, Amazon, like Aaron and I were just discussing before this, have just bought the best delivery network in the UK and across the Europe um, for, for what is for Amazon a steal. And again, they just completely 
take over the internet. Uber Eats, we know Uber are, are struggling. It's very public knowledge that they're, they're struggling as a business. You know, it's, it's just a fascinating move as we can't see anybody other than ByteDance really coming on and taking on Facebook, Google and Amazon. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I can't see anybody else. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take a decade for, for another one to appear of that sort of ilk. Um, if it does, I'm sure it will because they always do. But, um, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe Tesla start going into it and, and, you know, Elon decides they're the a, sort of company that yeah, they exactly. are. The sort he of could have a crack. Have a got a chance. Yeah. It has to come from a different vertical, doesn't it? It can't be a social platform that, that becomes, uh, a competitor tiktok as an example but only because as you said it was from china it has to come from a different vertical like and, may, and maybe you're right Aaron. maybe tesla or someone in the in the transport industry where transport is so critical to the next wave of how humans interact with each other um how we speed up transport how we make transport more sustainable how we interact from uh individual transportation device to another you know i think that that is maybe where we're going to see the next real wave of mega company um because the people who connect the world in some way through another form of transport either through a serious electric car network or something else a hyperloop or whatever else elon musk is working on that is going to be the next way that uh you know we we come together as a social social being no i agree i also think you need someone you know you need that that leader that driver that's going to you know take on the impossible and and is willing to just you know, there's an ethical question about should should these businesses be just swallowing everything up and when is too big a market share? But I think you've got to have something in you to have a desire to go and really just build and take over. And, you know, it seems like Elon Musk has sort of got the ability to to do that in the way that, you know, Bezos and Zuckerberg and, um, you know, a, f- a few of the others have. The Alibaba guy is, an ex- you know, another example of that. Um, he's just so outspoken isn't he i can't see someone so outspoken being the leader of a huge but he's such a genius mate. if he spent six months focused on even six days focused on how to build the next generation of social network like and that got released i mean a hundred million people would sign up on the first day and because of of not just him but the the team of people that are working across spacex and tesla and you know uh, the boring company like the geniuses that they have there and the way that they sort of really do remove the box when it comes to thinking of new things i mean the 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 rockets for spacex to nasa gave up you know actually gave up nasa and and sp- the only reason we you know, everyone's going back into space now and they're talking about going to Mars is because they figured out a way to land these bloody rockets. Like, it's insane. If you'd have said 15 years ago, we're going to land these rockets. No, of course you're not. And Elon did 10 years ago. And, you know, that's what it's going to do. I think the next step might be someone that's, uh, you know, able to really think about things in a different way. That's why I think he's got the capability, almost whatever industry points his mind at, to make a meaningful change to that. Yeah, it's just whether or not he believes he's very sort of, uh, you know, 
new generation of uh, sustainability as well, whether or not he believes that actually social media is the right tool. You know, he's had his uh, spats with Twitter and his opinions on Twitter and social media in general, I think is that very open with the, with the fact that he thinks that social media is a, is a negative on society. So maybe he sees it in a completely different way. And that's kind of what we come back to on the, on the transportation point. Um, I know we've got a hard stop here. So uh, we finish nicely on the platforms as we talk about what's potentially going to come up in the next few years and next decade decade on platforms as we uh, as we talked about the ill-fated launch of mixer and what it now is becoming facebook gaming as well as everything else we discussed today um this is going to be a bit of a staple i think every single week we'll kind of get together as a three and recap what's uh what's gone up what's gone on both in our conversations and and uh and what's gone on in the news and what we think about it uh, this is going to be the new strat chat every single week tom uh, producer tom are you listening what what day is this going out on well, I was just going to ask you, I was thinking maybe I could put this out Sunday morning or you could stick to the hallowed Tuesday strat chaps. Uh, yeah, no, the hallowed Tuesday. <laughs> Does anyone that's... else notice that Tom is putting on a special sort of recording? Voice <laughs> for this? this is his radio voice. <laughs> it is his radio voice, isn't yeah. it? I like it. It's the it. producer yeah. voice. And when you've got a producer who's just sitting in the background, it gives him time to prepare, you know, assets that you need. You know. um, so, OK, we'll be. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. We'll see you next Tuesday. Uh, for another version of the Founder Stretcher. You asked for it. Oh, no, I, I love that. You asked for it. You got it. Let me explain. Strategy? Let's talk a little strategy, guys.